This past week, I was listening to two messages online from uh, Reverend Dr. Tina Patamber. I listened to her message from the previous Sunday every week, and this week I just happened to listen to two of them from her. And I said to myself, I need, I need to tell people about this outstanding preacher, especially to those of you radio listeners, to our radio listeners and uh, online viewers, those of you especially up in the Markham area, Unionville, Richmond Hill area, I just want you to, to be encouraged. If you don't have a church home, I want to encourage you to go and worship with Reverend Dr. Tina Patamber and the Village Church of the Nazarene. Uh, her messages are just outstanding and so practical, so helpful, so enriching. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a church home, to go and become a part of the Village Church of the Nazarene. Their address is 218, 218 Main Street in Unionville. Their services are on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. All right? She did not ask me to say anything like this. Uh, she doesn't even know I have said this today, but I, after listening to her fantastic messages this past week and every week, I'm always just so eager to recommend that people become a part of Dr. Tina Patamber's congregation. So, I encourage you in that way. By the way, they worship in a beautiful, historic, historic building right on Main Street there. Now I want to invite you please to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 16. If you would turn to the Gospel of John chapter 16. Some of you are probably looking at my Bible and saying, that's a different Bible, Pastor Nick. This is the one that my wife, Cindy, gave to me this past Christmas. I'm still having a hard time getting away from my old one that's falling apart, but uh, I'm making progress. All right, turn to John 16, verses 8 and 9. Our theme today, our theme is the Holy Spirit and you. The Holy Spirit and you. All right? We're going to get to the Word of God here in just a moment. In previous messages on the Holy Spirit, we talked, we talked about how when we first repent of our sins, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into us when we first repent and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And in several messages recently now, we also talked about the fact that we can not only receive the Holy Spirit, but we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We also talked about how how uh, we can have our inward nature, our inward nature purified by the Holy Spirit. God, by his Holy Spirit, is able to purify us internally. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit can be our source, our source of day-to-day -day courage and power to be Christ's witnesses. And then, in the last message, we talked about how the Holy Spirit is the, the paraclete, the comforter, the helper, 
the counselor, companion, friend, and advocate. And we focused on the different words that the various Bible translations use to describe the Holy Spirit. So now today we come to our first truth, our first truth in this message, and it is this. Why don't you read it with me from the screen? The message point number one is, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. All right? And this comes right out of John's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, where we read, why don't you read it with me? All right, read it out loud with me. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. It refuses to believe in me. Now, please understand that Jesus spoke these words. It's Jesus speaking these words, and he was talking about how soon the Holy Spirit would come. And as verse, or John 16, verse 8 says, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict, he will convict the world of its sin. Then in the very next verse, the next verse, verse 9, Jesus says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me, in Jesus. That's what Jesus says. He says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Well, Jesus tells us, as you can see, that to refuse to believe in Jesus is a very serious matter. It is a major, major sin. It is totally wrong. The good news is, the good news is, the Holy Spirit helps us to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Years ago when I was a teenager, I remember how God's Spirit helped me to come to faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. Why? Why is it so important that, that you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Why is it so essential? Well, because Jesus said, as recorded in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life no one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, through Jesus. Now, we Christians are sometimes criticized for claiming that Jesus is the only way to God, the only way to heaven. However, the bottom line, the bottom line is Jesus is the only way. He is the only way to God the Father and into heaven. And we believe that. That is the word of God and that is the truth. Today, I invite you here in the sanctuary on the main floor, up in the balcony, online viewers, radio listeners, I invite you to repent, to repent of your sins and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you haven't already done so, this is critical, top priority for each one of us. 
the Holy Spirit not only seeks to draw you and me into faith, faith in Jesus, by convicting us, convicting us of our unbelief, but the Holy Spirit also convicts us when we are about to sin, when we're about to sin, when we're about to do something wrong, when we're about to do something which would displease God. I trust you've experienced that, right? I certainly have experienced it over the years. Um, I'm gonna tell you a, a true story which I usually tell in, in the church membership class. Now, I don't tell too many of these stories uh, because you know, I don't want a, a lot of you to go around, oh man, you, you ought to know the bad stuff Pastor Nick has sometimes done or almost done. You, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I, 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 I'll, I'll just tell you this story that I tell in the membership class. Uh, some years ago, some years ago, um, there was a special function at our Pickering Altona Road Church of the Nazarene. And uh, our sister church there asked if they could borrow some tables, tables and chairs from us in order to have enough for the event that was happening. So uh, we said, sure, sure, we'd be happy to loan the tables and chairs. But at that time, we did not have any Van. We didn't have a church van that we could load them up in. And I, I said, you know, I, I, I want us to help, but we don't have a van. Do, does anyone in your church have a van we could borrow? And they said, yes, we have a, a man who has a, a work van. And, and he said, he said uh, you can borrow it. And, uh, and so I went over and I picked up this old van. And we loaded up all the tables and chairs and uh, got ready to go drive everything over to the, uh, to the um, Pickering Altona Road Church. Well, I got in my van, not my van, but I got in the van, and we had a summer intern then, and he joined me, he helped me pack everything into the van, and so we, I started to drive to the Altona Road Church. Now, before I started to drive, however, I, I went to put on the seatbelts, right? So I, I went on to put the seatbelts on, as you would always do yourself. Amen? Is there an amen? amen? Thank you very much. So I went on to put on the seatbelts, but this van was really old. It was old. It wasn't so much it being old, but the seatbelts were dirty. I mean, they were terribly dirty and greasy. I guess because it was a work van. I mean, they were bad. And I thought, oh man, I, I don't want to mess up my, I don't want to mess up my clothes with the greasy seat belts and just, uh, you know, not so good. A anyway, so I, listen, church, I want you to know, I always have worn my seat belts. You, you got it? I always wear my seatbelts. But on that occasion, Cindy, I, I, I thought I would, you know, no, it's gonna mess up my suit and mess up, you know, my clothes, right? So I decided not to wear the seatbelt. I'm driving along, 
I'm driving along to get to the Pickering Altona Road Church, and then all of a sudden, I see the lights behind me and the siren and the siren. And I knew, I knew I did not, I did not fail to stop at a red light. I knew that, you know, I stopped at the stop signs. I knew I didn't make a wrong left turn or a wrong right turn or I wasn't speeding or anything like that. I knew that. And so I thought, oh man, the only reason why he's pulling me over must be because he saw I did not have a seatbelt on, right? So that was the only thing I thought. He saw no seatbelt and now I'm gonna be in trouble. And so then I started to do what I had to do, and that is to pull over. So I, I started to pull over, but as I started to pull over, I did what none of you would ever do, but I, I started to do this. As I'm pulling over, I'm, I'm grabbing. <laughs> Where is that seatbelt? I don't care if my clothes get dirty. Where is that seatbelt? Right? I'm grabbing, I'm, I'm grabbing the seatbelt, and the intern who was with me, he was doing the same thing. He didn't put a seatbelt on either because it was just so filthy. So I'm grabbing the seatbelt, and just, just as I, I pulled, pulled over, just about stopped, I, I, I almost buckled it. I almost buckled it. Ruth? Just before buckling it, I felt this incredible conviction. I felt so bad. I felt so convicted. I was just so close to connecting it. And then I said, Lord, this isn't right. No, this would mislead, this would mislead the police officer. And so I dropped it. I dropped the seatbelt. I could have connected it before he got to my car, but I dropped those seatbelts and I said to the intern, I said, brother, no, we can't put our seatbelts on now. It's too late. I'll have to take the ticket. You know, we didn't have our seatbelts on. We must not mislead the police officer. So the police officer obviously came over and, and said, uh, sir, can I have your driver's license and insurance? I gave him everything, and of course, I'm, I'm waiting for him to say, you, um, you don't have your seatbelt on, and I have to give you a ticket. So I'm waiting for, the, for those words, and then he, he basically says, what, um, what's the situation, like... Uh, Whose van is this? Whose van? I explained to him that we borrowed it from someone at the Altona Road Church of the Nazarene. We were moving some furniture from Rosewood to their church, and, and so I'm still waiting for the shoe to fall and for him to say, well, you know, you don't have a seatbelt on, right? Your buddy doesn't have a seatbelt. And so he says, well, well, you know, um, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, well, maybe you can tell me. <laughs> I, 
I, I kind of figured why, but I, I preferred for him to tell me rather than me tell him. And uh, so he said, well, I, I pulled you over because this van looks so old. And, and it's looking, looks like it's falling apart. I said, well, no doubt. It, it is old, but they assured me it's safe. That, you know, the owner assured me it, it is safe. And I know it's dirty. It is dirty on the outside, dirty on the inside. And um, I, uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll, encourage, I'll encourage the owner to just have a check, you know, have the vehicle checked to make sure that it continues to be safe. And then uh, the police officer said, uh, all right, sir. All right, appreciate talking with you. Um, thank you, thank you for uh, talking with me. Uh, just, you know, ask the owner to check out the vehicle, make sure it's safe. The officer left, the officer left. And I look at our intern, I said, he didn't say anything about the seatbelts. <laughs> he didn't give me a ticket. Anyway, I mention that story to just say, whether it's you or me, the Holy Spirit has his way of convicting us. Right? Right? And in that case, I, 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 I still to this day am surprised I did not get a ticket. By the way, how much is a ticket for not wearing your seatbelt? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> my, wife, my wife says, who knows? That's good. None of you know. None of you know because you have never gotten a ticket. You always wear your seatbelt. <laughs> anyway, anyway, okay. Anyway, the, the bottom line is the Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us. And my friends, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, we need to obey. We need to answer. We need to respond, right? But by the way, this doesn't mean I've been a perfect driver. You know, I, uh, I try very hard to be diligent in my driving. Right, Cindy? Sometimes my wife will say, oh, he waits too long to make the left turn. He's, he gives too much distance. And I, I tell her, I tell her, you know, I, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you know, in case the car sputters, we're not going to have an accident and that kind of thing. Anyway, whatever. All right, let's go back to John 16, verse 8. Uh, maybe you can put that verse back up if it isn't on the screen. Uh, John 16, verse 8 says, The Holy Spirit convicts us, uh, convicts us of sin, God's righteousness. Okay. All right. Leave the verse up. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit convicts us of God's righteousness. What does that mean? I believe, I studied this, and after studying it and reading the various commentators, I believe it can mean two things. Number one, it can mean the Holy Spirit helps us to realize that the only way we can have a right relationship with God is to be convicted of our unbelief and to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so that is one way that we can interpret that verse or those words. Secondly, I believe the Holy Spirit convicts us of 
God's righteousness can also mean that the Holy Spirit helps us to see, to see what is right and what is wrong. What is right and what is wrong and encourages us to do what is right. You got that? Right? John 16, verses 8 and 9, not only, not only speak of the Holy Spirit as convicting us of sin and convincing us of God's righteousness, it also speaks of convicting us of the coming judgment. Convicting us of the coming judgment. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to convict us of the coming judgment? Well, to me, that means that the Holy Spirit helps us realize that there is a heaven and a hell that someday we will be judged and we'll end up either in heaven or hell. That's what it means. That's what it means. And I want to encourage all of us, I want to encourage you to put your faith in Jesus and know that your eternal home is in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you know that your eternal home is in heaven? We have to plan for eternity. All right. Second truth I want to direct your mind and heart to today is this. The second truth is the Holy Spirit can guide us. The Holy Spirit can guide us. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13, here's what it says. It says, when the Spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. John 16, verse 13. One of the Bible commentators I was reading, Dr. William Hendrickson, beautifully says this. He says, the function of the Holy Spirit in the church is described as that of guiding, guiding, literally leading the way. Leading the way. The Holy Spirit's work, great work, is to bring God's truth to us. We have a special name for this bringing of God's truth to us. We call it revelation. Revelation. When, um, when, I, am, when I am attending, for example, when I am attending our Wednesday Bible study or a Sunday morning Sunday school class or a small group through the week and the teacher or leader asks a, sometimes a particular difficult question about a Bible verse, I listen carefully and I am often surprised. I'm often surprised and amazed at how different people give some excellent responses. Now stick with me. 
I say to myself, how in the world did that person give such an excellent response to Pastor Lisa, to Dorothy, or to whomever is leading the study? How did they give such a wonderful response without actually studying this passage in advance? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit guided them into that truth. Did you get me there? Pastor Lisa, I'm sure that you too many times when you ask those soul-searching questions and, we, and you get those beautiful responses, sometimes you probably think, how in the world did he or she answer that so beautifully? And the answer is the Holy Spirit guided them, guides you to, to, to grasp the truth. And the Holy Spirit indeed helps us and guides us into understanding the word of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit also guides us in many other different aspects of life. Here are a few examples. In, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Spirit guides Philip. I think we have that verse uh, on the screen. Acts 8, 29, the Spirit guides Philip to make contact with the Ethiopian man, who is actually a eunuch. Then in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 19, the Spirit prepares Peter to meet representatives from Cornelius the centurion. The Spirit, the Spirit says to him, Simon, or Peter, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Then in Acts 11, verse 28, the Spirit enables Agabus to foretell the coming famine. In Acts 13, verses 2, 3, and 4, the Holy Spirit uh, orders the setting apart of Paul and Barnabas for the momentous step of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, in other words. Then in Acts chapter 15, Verse 28, the Spirit guides the decisions of the Council of Jerusalem. In Acts 16, verses 6 to 10, the Spirit guides Paul, guides Paul past Asia, past Mycenae and Bithynia, down into Troas, and then to Europe. So we, we have these many examples in the Bible of how the Holy Spirit guided the men and women. And so I want to say to all of us, and uh, today, especially as we, we, we saw these wonderful young people come to the platform who have graduated or who are graduating, young people, young people, the Holy Spirit can guide you in terms of what courses, for instance, what courses you should take in high school and in college or university. Young people, the Holy Spirit can guide you into the kind of ministry or job the Lord wants for you in your future. I have been a pastor for many years now um, because, because when I was a teenager, when I was a young person, a teenager, the Holy Spirit clearly led me to eventually become a minister. I did not grow up in the church. 
I did not have parents, grandparents, or other relatives saying, Nico, you should become a minister. No, I didn't have that. No, but at the age, at the age of 15, when a, a lady knocked on the door of our house and invited me and other family members to church, I began to attend the Kennedy Road Church of the Nazarene. There, I learned about Jesus. I came to a point of faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And, and, and I came to understand what the Bible, what a Bible sometimes calls being born again spiritually, being born again. And then some months later, I said, Lord, I surrender my life. I surrender all that I am to you. And the Holy Spirit began to make it known to me what I eventually should do with my life back in those years of age 15 and 16. Now, whether you are a teenager or an adult, the Holy Spirit can lead you. Amen? Recently, I, I said to a man in our church, very recently, I said, how are things going at your job? And he said to me, he said, Pastor, it is incredible how the Lord led me to the specific job that I have. I thought, isn't that wonderful? And then he went on to give me some of the details. Uh, very, very recently as well, another gentleman in our church said to me, Pastor, my wife, my wife is the best thing that ever happened to me. Young people, the Holy Spirit can guide and direct you to the best thing that will ever happen to you. All right? As one author says, the early church was a spirit-guided community. You and I, can be Holy Spirit-guided people. Let us say with the hymn writer, Holy Spirit, be my guide. Holy Spirit, my doors open wide. Make me to know thy will divine. Holy Spirit, be thou mine. Amen? Amen. All right. Here's a third beautiful truth we want to give attention to. It is this. Why don't you read it with me from the big screen? The Holy Spirit works through us to perform miracles. To perform miracles. This truth came to my mind from Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Here's what it says. Here's what it says. Acts 5, beginning in verse 12. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across 
some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And they were all healed. I want us to again note that these early believers performed or God performed many miracles through them. There were many miraculous signs and wonders after, after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We also need to remember that ultimately it was the Lord working through them who actually did the miracles. Amen? The apostles were human beings, human beings like you and you and you and you and you up there and, and me. They were simple human beings like, like us. And uh, it was the Lord working through them. We, we read about a variety of miracles which the Lord performed. For example, in Acts 12, verses 1 through 17, there is the drama, there's the drama of Peter's miraculous escape from prison. A little later in Acts 19, verses 11 and 12, we read of how God did many miracles through another person. Uh, Acts 19, 11, 12 says, God did, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Amen? Then in uh, Acts 20, verses 7 through 12, we read of how the Lord worked through Paul to bring back to life a young man who had fallen from a third-story window and was picked up dead. The Lord brought him back to life. He brought him back to life. Now, some of you here could also testify about a miracle in your own life. You could testify. And we praise God for that. Amen? In his book, in his book, Proving God, Al Taylor tells the story of Arlie Rogers of California, who came to be known as the Sweet Potato King because of his vast farming operations in the San Joaquin Valley. Arlie and his brother first arrived in California with very little money. By scraping and saving, they finally managed to purchase a farm. At that time, the money was cotton. That was, you know, to make money, they raised cotton. The money was cotton. The money, the money crop, as they say, was cotton. So the two brothers invested every penny they could get in, in sowing and growing cotton. When the cotton plants were just out of the ground, a great sandstorm blew across the valley, destroying everyone's crops. The Rogers brothers were just heartbroken. They were heartbroken. Arlie called the church and asked their pastor to visit. As Pastor Burnham walked across the devastated fields, the brothers poured out their troubles. They said, everything we had was in that crop. We don't have any money or credit left to replant. We are completely ruined, Pastor. Now we will lose everything. Pastor Burnham 
knew these brothers as dedicated Christians, active in their church and faithful in giving their tithes to the Lord. Squinting at them, he replied, the pastor said, no, no, fellas, it's really not that bad. He said, the God we serve raised his own son from the dead after three days. I know God can raise cotton. Amen. And with that, the minister sank to his knees in the dirt and he prayed a little simple prayer. He said, Father, these men are tithers. You said you would rebuke the devourer for a tither. I'm asking you to manifest the power of your word and fulfill that promise right here in this cotton field. And the pastors prayed, bring this cotton back and give these men a good crop this year in Jesus' name, amen. The pastor rose from his knees. He brushed the dust from his knees and he said, man, that ought to take care of it. It did. It did. A few days later, the Rogers brothers called the pastor back. And there, before their very eyes, a great crop, a great crop of cotton was rising from the, from the ground. God had rebuked the devourer. They saw, those farmers saw a miracle right in front of their eyes as the Lord restored their crop. Amen. Think again about our scripture, Acts 5, 12 to 16. It's, it's the passage that just, just reminds us of the different ways in which God performed miracles and healings, all right? Now someone, someone might say, someone might say, does God still perform miracles like that? Someone might, might ask, well, you know, why don't we see more miracles of whatever kind? If you are to read, if you were to read some books, there are some people who say that the Lord only did miracles like that in the first century, especially to inspire people to believe and to get the church started. Well, personally, I believe miracles are still possible today. We serve the same living God. Miracles are still possible today, my friends. Sometimes we sing that wonderful song, He's a miracle-working God. He's a miracle-working God. And the truth is, no one fully understands miracles. No one knows why sometimes God performs miracles and other times he doesn't. We don't have easy answers. What we do know is this. What we do know is 1 John in the Bible, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, says this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. That, my friends, is the word of God. That is God's promise to you and to me. 
That is the word of the Lord. Now here's something else which on the one hand will baffle you and at the same time will inspire you and me to believe in miracles. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. I don't know if we have those verses up. If we have them, uh, read it with me, would you? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He was referring to the miracles which Jesus did. Then, then Jesus goes on to say, he says, he will do even greater things than these. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's what Jesus says. Now no doubt many of us would, would want to ask, we'd want to ask, what exactly does Jesus mean by us doing the miracles which he had been doing? Not only that, what does Jesus mean by you and me doing even greater things? I mean, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Right? Well, no one knows the full answer to those questions. Doesn't matter. No pastor, no theologian. Someone might say, oh, they know the answer. But in truth, no one really knows the full answer. What I do know, what I do know is that because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, what I do know is, you and I can believe that the Lord can work through us to perform miracles. Amen? He can work through us. And so, my friends, on Sunday, on Sunday, July 16, at our 11 a.m. service, we are going to anoint with oil in accordance with the Word of God, in accordance with the book of James, and we will fervently pray, we'll fervently pray for the miracle that many of you need in your life. Some of you need a physical healing miracle. Some of you need a relationship to be restored miracle. Others of you are desperate for a financial miracle or for a good, good job. Others of you are living with memories from the past that are still so painful that you have a hard time moving forward in your life, right? You need a miracle to bring healing to your hurtful memories. My friends, on Sunday, July 16, at 11 a.m., we are going to pour out our, our, our prayers for God, to God, to perform miracles in accordance with his power, his mercy, and his grace. Online viewers, radio listeners, I invite you to, <coughs> I invite you to join us at Rosewood Church of the Nazarene on Sunday, July 16, for our 11 a.m. church service so that we can pray for you and for your family as well. Right? All right, now, between now and then, I want to ask you, please, to get spiritually prepared and to get prayed up. <clears throat> this is not a game. This is not a game. This is, this is serious spiritual business. Amen. 
So I ask us, I ask you to also <clears throat> designate each upcoming Friday as a day of prayer and fasting for God to perform miracles on Sunday, July 16. Some of you, some of you might be able to fast one meal or two meals, others perhaps three meals. Use your good judgment. I don't want anyone to get sick. God doesn't want you to get sick. Some of you, some of you may choose to fast, fast from, uh, from watching your favorite TV programs or to stay off the internet that you're always feeling you have to be on constantly, okay? I want to ask my fellow pastors and interns to also, to also spiritually prepare themselves to join us, to join me in anointing and praying for hundreds of you perhaps, for many of you on July 16. I want to also acknowledge that I am a mere human being. I have no power of my own to perform a miracle. Whatever miracles are performed will be from the Lord. I've said this before countless times. Whatever miracles are performed will be from the Lord and not from Pastor Nick and not from Pastor Lisa or from any other pastor or lay leader who will pray for you. Got that? Right? And as we look ahead to Sunday, July 16, let us have faith. Let us have faith that the Holy Spirit will work through us to perform miracles. Amen. And so, in closing, my friends, I want us to just, musicians, come. I want us to just remember, in this message we talked about how the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. It may be that in these moments together, the Spirit of God has convicted you of your sin of unbelief. For whatever reasons you have not as yet believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, this is the day to start your belief in Jesus, to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine. And others of you, we talked about that second point. The Holy Spirit can guide us, can guide you. It may be that you need direction in your life right now. <clears throat> Young people, as you're looking ahead to going into the next school level, whether it's in high school or university, college, I want you to pray, not only today, but other times as well. I want you to pray and say, Lord, guide me. Holy Spirit, guide me in terms of my academic work. Others of you need to pray about other matters, financial matters or personal matters, in which you need the Lord's guidance. Amen? And all of us, I need to ask you to pray in these weeks ahead for the Holy Spirit to work through, through us or directly by his power. It does not matter to perform his miracles. 
Would you stand, please? Would you stand? Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, yes, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin and God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Yes, Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us. We ask for the Holy Spirit to work through us to perform miracles. Let it happen, Lord, let it happen. You are great and you are good. As was sung earlier, we experience the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord, for that wonderful message from Hannah. Lord, move upon each of us in accordance with our need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.